Yo, yo, fellow Yunts, DGens, and future parallel players, it's your host, Rogatachi, back to bring you another episode of the podcast so beloved, it was just legally adopted by Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. That's right, they just got back together to adopt this podcast and love it with their sweet, dear hearts and giant pocketbook full of money. But I'm here today with a scary episode of Goodwill Yunting. You'll understand why I say scary in a minute, but still a very important episode at that. Before I dive into the details, you know I have to tell you who it be and what it be, and it be the crypto podcast Goodwill Yunting presented by Yunt Capital. So you've got some money, but how are you going to use it? You want to spend when you know you should be saving. What if you could spend and save at the same time? Set yourself free with completely flexible, self-repaying loan technology. Seize the power of Alchemix. Your only debt is time. What was once inconceivable is now within your grasp. Shout out to this week's sponsor, Alchemix. The Ave Vault strategies are now live on Alchemix, and obviously Ave is one of the best and safest places to get yield in my opinion. The addition of these new vaults adds further yield sources to the always continually expanding ecosystem. Go over to alchemix.fi to check out those new Ave vaults and all the other awesome vaults they have and to find out more. Thank you, Alchemix. Good Bull Yunting is the crypto podcast for DGENs by DGENs. We are here not with financial advice, but to offer goodwill information on all the best crypto related projects, people, things you got to keep your eye on, you got to know about. Each episode, various members of Yunt Capital will hop on to explore your favorite crypto, NFT, and DeFi topics. Your Yunts, alongside our incredible guests, create a podcast that should never be missed. I'm both scared and excited to be joined today by Adam. Adam is a legal mind. He's worked with Tessera, uh, who is incredibly big-brained when it comes to all things crypto, regulation, politics, just all uh, coming at it from every angle. Adam is here today to help us shed some light on the crazy but blurry portrait that is crypto regulation what it looks like now, what it looks like in the future, how politics plays into all this. It's going to be an interesting episode. So, of course, alongside me from the young side of things is the brilliant Bu, who is far from a slouch when it comes to crypto regulation himself. This discussion is poised to be enlightening and helpful. So stay tuned in. Welcome, Adam and Bu. Thank you. Thank you. Don't be too scared. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm uh, afraid I'm going to be exposed for the fraud I am, unfortunately, on on this episode. As uh, folks like Adam are, uh, you know, the people that I talk to a lot about this stuff before I talk to other people. So, um, you know, I'm I'm excited to sort of pick your brain on this stuff, Adam. I was just going to say, as as long as the takes are better than some of the stuff that was on Twitter about uh, dapper and moments as uh, securities today, we should be okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they'll, they'll, they'll be better than that for sure. 
<laughs> why are you charging me a hundred dollars an hour then for your legal advice? Uh, cause I'm, cause I'm cheaper than Adam. <laughs> all right. All right. Enough about you. Uh, <laughs> Adam, can you tell us about your background when it comes to who you've worked with in space, what you did before you got into crypto, what brought you to crypto, um, just your general background. Yeah. So I, uh, I started, I guess I'll start my time in politics and government, but I worked, uh, really volunteered for Phil Murphy's campaign for governor in New Jersey in 2016. And the election was in 2017 uh, did a lot of stuff around economic development policy and certain tax credit programs that the state of New Jersey was offering at that time. Started once he won that election, became governor, and then started on basically day one of the administration, where I worked with a lot of different state agencies focused on a whole bunch of areas, primarily economic development, but also things like infrastructure and some random things like casino regulation, gaming, and Spent about a year and a half in the governor's office, did a lot of kind of interesting stuff, but I think it largely informs a good amount of how I view where crypto sits from both a regulatory and political perspective right now. And I'm sure we'll get into a lot more of that. Uh, From there, I went to a law firm. One of the things I did related to venture capital and New Jersey trying to create more of a hub as a venture capital, a state that could attract venture capital. Uh, So I went to a New Jersey-based law firm and did a lot of VC work. Uh, with the intention of really staying there for quite some time and kind of combining that with some of the policy side of stuff that I did in New Jersey. And then 2021 and the beginning of 2021 kind of happened and NFTs got on my radar and I personally got pretty far down rabbit holes as most of us have to end up where we are. Um, And we started just getting a lot more inbound from companies in the crypto space who wanted to do some interesting things and especially in the NFT space. And then one client in particular I worked with pretty closely and we were kind of just going back and forth about like some pretty interesting and innovative ways that they could do some fun stuff in the NFT space with like their outside venture capital raising and strategies related to that and stuff and way they, ways they could kind of leverage uh, some marketing appeal related to NFTs. And it just kind of got me, it opened my eyes to the fact that like I understood the NFT landscape and elements of the crypto landscape better than most of the other lawyers I was talking to and kind of working with and just like seeing, not necessarily just in my firm, but just kind of like measuring myself against, I would say. Uh, And that was the first time that it really opened my eyes to be like, yeah, I could maybe, you know, do this full time and go in house and join a startup. And that's kind of where it it led me to Tessera. We were fractional at the time, Um, but that's kind of the journey of how I got into, into crypto was just working with a lot of clients in a law firm and then, deciding to kind of jump in for better or worse full time. Yeah, that's awesome. I love how that's a lot of people's stories, right? Like we start to dabble in crypto, then all of a sudden we're down the rabbit hole and we're doing all this work and really enjoying it in Web3 and and realizing, you know, how much crossover there is between our skills and and what's kind of needed or valuable in Web3 and then just taking a dive full time if we have the opportunity. So that's, that's an awesome background. So I'm curious, what about this aspect of, of crypto law, crypto politics, crypto regulation interests or excites you? What opportunities do you see here um, as this is a new frontier? So so where do you see this, this heading kind of for you and what, what excites you here? Yeah, so 
I've kind of been asking myself this question a lot in the wake of 2022 and just a lot of the crypto blowups, especially with FTX and stuff to like, just get a sense of like, what is my reason for being in this space? Like what continues to motivate me and excite me about working full time in this area, despite feeling like there's a shitstorm of stuff coming on a near daily basis. Um, yet I continue to press on. And I think a lot of it for me, when I was in the governor's office, a lot of what I worked on was how do you basically develop economic policies that can allow for people to kind of like, you know, rise up, find opportunity, things like that. And I think crypto really presents the best possibility for that right now because of what open permissionless, largely decentralized blockchains and applications can permit in terms of the ability to build on top of them, the ability to create novel mechanisms, the ability to kind of have user ownership and things like that. And so I think a fair amount of it is informed by what are those possibilities. And I think the promise of a lot of them has been greater than the reality of a lot of them, but I still think we're pretty early days and, you know, the ability to contribute to governance or protocol development or a community that you're part of and be able to kind of get an audience with founders and developers. If you have a good idea, it can boil up to the surface and people can run with that and support you. Like that just doesn't exist in other places. Um, and that's, I think, a lot of kind of where crypto continues to motivate me and keep my interest about wanting to be here and wanting to see what a lot of the innovation will bring, and especially on the NFT side. And then the regulatory side, I think a lot of it just stems from the laws, obviously, crypto doesn't fit neatly into many of the laws and regulations and policy matters. And there's a very engaged, pretty tight knit group of crypto lawyers and policy professionals who I think it's a pretty nice atmosphere and way to kind of collaborate with others to hopefully advance these initiatives. And that will certainly take time. And I think a lot of the progress has been stalled based on the events of 2022 to a large degree, but I think there are more people engaged in those types of fights now. Uh, and that continues to excite me as well. Yeah, that's, that's all great stuff and, and really interesting. And I think that maybe like gives us a, a nice segue here into maybe talking about the, the political side of all of this. I mean, you know, given your background, kind of like working in actually like in politics and yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty fortunate. I have a, a bunch of friends myself who like work in politics, like, uh, you know, career bureaucrats. And so I have something of an understanding of, you know, how the sausage is made. And I think that it can be hard for those of us on the outside looking in, um, you know, the sort of, you know, political machine, not to, to like not comprehend like why these seemingly obvious solutions or, or obvious kind of even just like, proclamations or declarations aren't sort of accepted by uh, policymakers. I mean, and, and maybe one of them, you know, as you mentioned, like none of this fits neatly to the surprise of no one laws written in the 1930s in a court case from 1946 doesn't exactly capture, you know, 21st century technology, like huge shock who could have possibly seen that coming. But like that, that's such an obvious statement, right? So where is the disconnect between, the people who actually, you know, the, the people who actually like get to make these decisions, whether it be actually writing bills and voting on them or, or deciding what to enforce, you know, why, 
surely these are smart people, right? Like, you know, they're educated. A lot of them have graduate degrees. You know, a lot of them have been to law school. I think these are people who we can all at a base level uh, assume have the intellectual capacity to understand that bills written nearly 100 years ago might not be super effective at governing modern technology. What's what's the hang up on going from sort of like that acknowledgement to, OK, what do we do about it? Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, the short and simple answer is this shit's hard and it's hard to wrap your head around and it's hard to understand both the technological elements, I think, and it's hard to understand the financial elements. It's unlike a lot of systems and business models that have ever existed before. Um, And it takes a lot of bandwidth and I think personal interest to really begin to absorb all of those interconnected components to begin understanding how the broader crypto ecosystem works. Um, So I don't think it's a lack of interest necessarily or a laziness or anything like that. I think a lot of it just stems from there's a lot of problems to solve and a lot of inbound that you get when you're in a position in government, either as a policymaker or a staff member or an elected official. And to kind of suss out what the most important issues are, um, how to synthesize information, those are very difficult. And then what I think really becomes an issue for the crypto industry is it's just an easy target. And part of that is because it's built on a lot of you know, hype and speculation. I mean, there's a lot of like very legitimate and important and good use cases, but it's also the type of thing that you know, at the top of the 2021 bull market, friends and family who know nothing about crypto are like, oh yeah, what token should I buy? And so like that kind of permeates. And then obviously there's a lot of potential for people to suffer losses and for fraud and things like that. So it's just, it's also the type of system because it embeds so many of those different elements that I think it's easy for people to look at and be like, oh yeah, it's all frauds and scams. And they don't get past that to begin understanding what really becomes interesting about the technology and about the innovation. I, I think like that, that is a great point, but I guess the, the thing that's always sort of um, stuck out to me in, in that is how is gambling on a shit coin materially different than, you know, financial regulations allowing retail investors to buy options on, on Robin hood, right. Or, or derivatives or, Look at what's happened with sports betting. And I mean, if you read the piece that the Times did on, I mean, like, let's let, let's call it what it is, like the absolute rank criminality and corruption that led to, you know, basically all of these sports betting laws that have been passed in the last uh, in the last couple of years and, and bring that in. Why? Like, I get that crypto is an easy target but it doesn't seem any easier a target to me than any of these other things that are already bad for retail, bad for consumers and totally legal. So what, like, like, is it that we just haven't kissed the ring yet? Like do we we need to send a check somewhere Um, or is there something deeper um, or or maybe just, as you said, like literally it's just like the technology is confusing. I don't think it's just that the technology is confusing. I think that, People just have a hard time wrapping their heads around 
like I feel like with gambling and with other types of sports betting, it's just understood like what that is. And it's kind of like at face value. I know exactly what I'm getting into. And I think like the health consequences of a wider spread legalization and promotions and all that, like we're just beginning to feel the effects of that. And I would assume that that pendulum will swing and there will be more outcry in the coming months and years about the need to put up more consumer protection oriented measures within that space too. With crypto, it's just largely that it doesn't seem like there is as much consumer protection because it's largely open to most people. And I think most people, like it takes a lot of effort and learning and cycles to begin to like understand your emotions and harness your emotions to be able to like play in this space in a way where you don't get emotional and don't capitulate at the bottom and don't walk away thinking that everything is a fraud and a scam and like understanding what these technologies and protocols and stuff actually do. And I think it's just very easy to see headlines or to read something in the newspaper that someone clicked a bad link and lost hundreds of thousands of dollars of NFTs, or there was a bridge hack and X millions of dollars were drained from that. And I think when you see those things and you don't understand them and you don't have any other perspective of what the actually very legitimate use cases that are going on in crypto are, you just have a very reflexive reaction to be like, what is this actually doing? Why do we actually need this? And I think that's one of the challenges, both challenges and opportunities that crypto has. And I think SBF factored into that, but I think for the first time post the FTX collapse, people were actually trying to ask questions to understand it. Like I very commonly got asked and heard others basically asking, well, if all of this is transparent and all of this is on an open ledger, how come no one saw what was happening at FTX? Um, And it's because that's a centralized exchange where they were running their own internal ledger effectively and they were not transacting on a public ledger. So it's, I think it feels very challenging and strained right now, but I think if the FTX situation is played properly by the industry, it actually opens up the opportunity to have a lot of these conversations about why decentralized protocols and decentralized technologies and proof of reserves and all those types of things are actually very reasonable and legitimate measures um, that enhance consumer protection to a large degree. I think there's also a discussion we can get into it of like where crypto as an infrastructure layer for the internet exists. And I think the reality is like most people probably should not own crypto in a self-custody wallet because they don't have the experience or capabilities to properly manage that. And they do need kind of a trusted custodian and intermediary. And there's parts of me that hope the system kind of evolves in that way, where there's a lot of consumer protection orientation around centralized capacities for more for people who are, I guess, more beginning their crypto journey, if you will. But like, if you know how to operate MetaMask and custody assets on your own and you're comfortable for that, like you get a lot more ability to transact in a way where more of that burden is put on you as an individual. Not to say that there's none, um, but I have kind of started to come up with some framings that like different people with different experience levels and different comfort levels probably need different protections. And it's really not a one size fits all. Is this a bipartisan issue or maybe to frame this like another way, 
the current administration seems like they've made it their mission to entirely kill this industry for reasons that, to me at least, seem very political and finger pointy. And a lot of people seem to think that, you know, if the Republicans, for example, win in 2024, like it will be different. Do you have a sense as to whether or not you know, the issue of crypto or, or crypto friendliness is really you know, tied to one party or another, or if, you know, that ball is still up in the air for us to play for, or, or if maybe that it, it is kind of a bipartisan issue. There's people on both sides who, who love it or hate it. Yeah, I think it's a good question again. I think it's more generational than partisan. I think younger lawmakers are generally more open to crypto, more willing to kind of understand it, more willing to see what the potential is and where it lies. Um, I think as you see more, like the EU, for instance, has developed not a perfect, but I would say a workable crypto framework. There's obviously headlines lately about Hong Kong and China developing some frameworks where there'll be a little bit more friendly to crypto, some of those may result in things that CBDCs, for instance, that people wouldn't want. But I think there will at least be more of an openness to creating a framework that allows the crypto industry to have at least some level of certainty and guidance that we lack in the US right now. Um, So I view it more as a generational thing that shouldn't become partisan unless it really seems like it needs to be. But I think there are elected officials on both sides of the aisle that are champions for it and are detractors for it. I think it's easier to classify it um, for some as a partisan issue, but I, I generally don't see it as much that way. The other point I would make on this thread is I don't view it as the Biden administration necessarily being overly hostile to crypto. I think a lot of it is that at the highest levels of the administration, they just don't care that much. Crypto isn't that big of an industry, that big of a player within the larger financial system or economic framework right now. And I just don't think they put as much time and energy into it as we probably perceive from the outside. Like, yes, the executive order that came down last year certainly encouraged agencies to study it. And I think for the most part was relatively neutral on it. I think some of the more recent tenor has been a little bit more hostile, but I still don't get the sense that the administration wants to necessarily completely kill crypto. But again, I think we're also now operating in a pretty different paradigm from when that executive order came down. And I think the industry just needs to recognize that it's going to be very hard to find champions for crypto right now because there is very little relative political upside in the near term to do so in the wake of FTX especially and in the wake of how much SBF sort of killed the brand of crypto in DC. Um, And I think we're just kind of seeing a lot of that where I don't perceive the administration as being more hostile. I just don't think anyone is really willing or desiring to step out and try and put it in a more favorable light right now. And I think that's just something we kind of have to wait out a bit. And, and I guess maybe like the other side of that coin is they don't care enough to stop, you know, what looks like an overly zealous, um, you know, 
SEC from, in my view, overstepping their mandate and their bounds by quite a bit either. It seems like they're fairly content to just let Gary do whatever he wants to do and, and don't really give a shit one way or the other where, where it lands. Um, and I think that's, yeah, again, I think that's what feels problematic to, to me. Yeah, I, I, I certainly recognize that, I think, and I and agree with you to a large degree. I think a lot of it is just they have a lot of other things that a lot more voters, a lot more industries, a lot more constituents care a lot more about than crypto. And I think, again, crypto captures a lot of headlines. It captures a lot of mind share. It captures a lot of media attention. But when the rubber hits the road, it's not that big. And I think they therefore don't really care to go out of their way to rein in what should be an independent agency from carrying out its mission and mandate, especially when it's being done in the name of consumer protection right now. And when you've seen as many blowups in 2022 as you did and people losing money and getting harmed as you did, that's not something that people really want to step out in front of to try and play the other side of that card right now. There's just no real advantage to doing so. So I think, yeah, for that reason, the SEC has played the media game incredibly, incredibly well, continues to play it incredibly, incredibly well. I think we'll see what kind of the House, um, now that it has a Republican majority, will do to try and hold the SEC more to account. Um, But the structure of our government, for better or worse, gives the SEC a lot of latitude as an independent agency to basically carry out its mandate as it sees fit. And I don't see the administration necessarily using any level or amount of political capital to try and step in front of that at this point. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense to me, honestly, uh, which isn't great news. Um, now, we've kind of like danced around this, and but I really want to try and get deep in here about the FTX kind of debacle because in the eyes of of us at Yunt, one of the biggest repercussions we saw of the U, of the Luna and, and FTX um, crashes was going to be the possible regulation that would happen because of it. Um, I mean, like you're saying, crypto kind of already had a bad rep um, and now we had two giant blowups that both seem to hurt retail investors uh, in one way or another. How do you think a regulating body like the SEC views these events compared to crypto natives who are more laissez-faire, who kind of understand the industry more and maybe the risks there. Um, I'm curious, how do you think the SEC views this? What do they see in their eyes? Yeah, I mean, I think they view it as primarily retail getting hurt. And I even think that's more apparent in some of the failures of the EARN programs, whether it was through you know, Voyager, Celsius, um, those types of programs. I think that's really where the SEC feels like mom and pop retail investors really got harmed. Um, And then that coupled with things related to Terra Luna and related to FTX, just again, it's like layer on top of layer on top of layer of examples that people can point to where there was either allegedly uh, outright fraud or mismanagement or whatever the case may be that led to those kind of events and people not 
necessarily understanding or appreciating what the risks involved in those uh, those models were. So I think the SEC, again, within its kind of consumer protection mandate, certainly feels like they are carrying out what that is um, based on the existing laws. But again, crypto is different. And I think certain of those programs, like we're seeing with the Kraken staking settlement recently and Commissioner Peirce's dissent uh, and, and note about that. There's just no kind of guidance and rules of the road. And I think one of the points that the crypto industry needs to begin making in a much more mainstream setting, because I think it's actually a very legitimate point of why many of these projects aren't coming in to talk to regulators or to try and register these products under the securities laws is because it is functionally impossible to do so. Um, And if you go in and try and talk to the SEC, there's a good chance that you will end up getting an inquiry and becoming the target of an investigation yourself. Um, Jason Gottlieb, who's one of the very good attorneys in this space, had a very good thread on this a couple weeks ago um, about the realities of being a lawyer advising projects about how to comply with securities laws and just kind of running into some of these types of challenges. Um, And I think that becomes a pretty reasonable approach for the industry to take is that the SEC obviously has stated what their views are um, and just kind of come in and register. And there is no way to do that. And I think if, if it's more understood both in the mainstream media public, and I, I use the media a lot because I don't think there is frankly a lot more to the media than what is the New York Times headline or Washington Post or any large newspaper. And that is what is going to inform the opinions of lawmakers. I mean, they are not reading crypto industry publications. They are not on crypto Twitter. Like we are very tell much. Me they're not listening to Goodwill Yunting every day. Bro, I thought I Biden know. was my number Maybe. one fan. What the fuck's going on here? Dude, and we, and we just, and we just dropped the, the, the pond this week. I mean, I guess they're not going to have. So yeah, we we got to get some people turned on to to the educational content that we're putting on. Uh, yeah, let, let, the, let the young people Warren guest right. <laughs> I don't. Maybe there's some. Maybe there's some. Maybe this can be the one there that we go. Start yeah, let's go to Washington. Um, let's, let's do it. Yeah. But I, I think that plays into a lot of the challenges that the industry faces. It's like we kind of take it for granted that we understand some of these nuanced distinctions. And the only thing that lawmakers see or read or understand is a headline in the New York Times about people getting scammed. And I just think there's a serious disconnect in that regard. Um, And that is, I think, what forms a lot of this foundation, but also presents, again, an opportunity for the crypto industry to fight back from a PR perspective, certainly around a lot of the fact that the crypto industry, I think, is one of the more prominent advocates for getting, obviously, fraud and scammers and people like that out of the industry. You look at some of the work that on-chain sleuths and detectives have done to uncover many of these types of things. Um, And it's pretty apparent that they are finding things like this well before anyone else is because they can look at a block explorer and 
see where money is and where it's going and where it's not going, despite what people are saying. So I think, again, it's just there's there's opportunity here. But the crypto industry, in my opinion, has not really properly harnessed a lot of this from both the media side, from the PR side, from kind of being able to make arguments and explain this to people in ways that don't that kind of meet them where they are instead of expecting them to get to, oh, DeFi is this wonderful innovation, which I think we all think it is. But the vast majority of the population is probably never going to personally interact with DeFi, but they very well may use it through whatever kind of front end and like existing consumer products that they already use. And they won't know what's going on in the background, which is why I think crypto needs to kind of pivot aspects of its its messaging to more of like infrastructure for decentralized permissionless technology and building infrastructure layers for these things for a more free and open internet than we've seen in a web two world, as opposed to trying to put front and center a new decentralized finance app, for instance. Yeah, I, I have long, long thought that the over-financialization of everything in crypto actually does the industry a massive disservice. And while the casino will always be, I think, an important feature of this space, I think for that to be the sort of dominance message um, really does us a disservice, especially kind of in the light of, of a lot of these disasters. Um, a lot of what you said like really resonates with me. And I guess like maybe we could start thinking about, you know, okay, so we, you know, the, if we accept that the crypto industry is is bad at these things, um, the obvious question to me is like, how do we get better? Uh, and part of that is like, you know, how like how do idiots like me, or or, or rogue or or anybody else, like how do we make a difference? Uh, you know, beyond, you know, maybe donating to politically. Uh, or, you know, political candidates that are, are crypto friendly, you are right. Like we do get it. We've been here for a long time. My background's in software. I, I actually like understand this stuff at like a fairly like deep technical level. I'm happy to talk to anybody about this stuff, but I don't know who to talk to or how to get somebody who, who matters to talk to me. So, you know, how, how do we get the media to care or, or how do we actually like get the people who can effectively communicate the right message and information in front of the people who matter. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I think it starts with, so I, it takes time. And I think that's just a cold reality of this. And I think each cycle within crypto, the industry matures and brings in more people and brings in people with different skill sets. And I think, there are people who have joined in the last couple of years with these types of skill sets who are making incredible inroads. I don't want it to come off as though there aren't a lot of people who have been at this for a long time. Uh, the reality also is we don't control everything. And the events of 2022, in particular, the FTX set the industry back in immeasurable ways for much of the progress that it had been making. Um, but I think it's really an opportunity for the industry to kind of step back. And I've been using this phrase, this mindset recently, but I think the crypto industry at large thinks it's fighting a lot of policy and legal battles. And that's certainly true on one hand, but what we don't necessarily appreciate is that this is really a political fight 
much more than a policy and legal fight. And to the extent we continue to try and have a policy and legal fight through requests for rulemaking, requests for guidance, through trying to file a bunch of lawsuits or amicus briefs and win at the courts, that needs to happen. That's got to be part of it. But I think the industry also needs to recognize, and I think slowly there are some conversations picking up on this front of how do you engage a grassroots population of crypto enthusiasts to get more activated with regards to who their local representatives are and trying to make it known that they care about crypto and not just when there's an emergency like the infrastructure bill a couple of years ago, but knowing that there is a large group of constituents who do care about a lot of the fundamental ideals that kind of crypto stands for and represents before you even get to some of the actual use cases and applications. I think a lot of it needs to be driven by fundraising and there have kind of been stops and starts with regard to that in the past, some PACs, political action committees that started um, over the last few years to try and elect pro-crypto candidates. A lot of this stuff is easier said than done, but I think it will take time to build up this kind of political infrastructure, but I think it's sorely needed, especially as we move into 2024, when there's going to be, I mean, every election is important, but this one, especially for kind of what the future of crypto will look like, especially when you contrast it against the likely progress that will be made in Europe and Asia and jurisdictions around the world in that time. Um, and I don't necessarily anticipate, although a lot of things could change, a ton of progress in the U.S. just because of a divided makeup in Congress and the fact that this still isn't an area where, as I was saying, it seems like there's a lot to gain at this point. I mean, that could change in six months or 12 months, um, but it's going to be an uphill battle during during the next couple of years. But I think the industry collectively can kind of lay this foundation so that when the opportunity arises, they kind of already have things organized. They already have some money. They already have some engaged people, an industry that's engaged, some funds to really go out and make the most of whenever this next opportunity presents itself on this side. It's interesting. I guess sort of baked into to your, your, your comment there is, I, I guess, maybe an expectation that this current status quo where Gary Gensler is kind of the most important person in, in the United States as it relates to crypto uh, sort of continues at least through uh, the next election cycle. Um, and I, I think, I mean, like that makes sense to me. I think you're hard pressed to find somebody with a more cynical view of us Congress than, than myself. I mean, I can't, I mean, do they pass bills anymore? Like, I mean, it seems like everything's just an EO. And so it does seem like, you know, Politically, 2024 is really where, you know, we're going to kind of like make it or break it. Are there any sort of organizations or or folks that you know that are looking for, you know, kind of the more politically inclined um, degens among us who are good speakers, uh, you know, who, who can kind of like make the, you know, the case and the convincing arguments and actually have the time and, and maybe the, the means and ability to, you know, travel to DC or, or maybe even like your local state house and, and speak with people um, who like, what, what organization should we be paying attention to and, and potentially getting involved with? 
One thing I'll say quickly is I do think there will be progress made in the courts in the next couple of years. And that may be good for the industry or that may be bad for the industry. I mean, that's up in the air and it's unfortunately the place we find ourselves. But to the extent there are perhaps favorable rulings, I think that gives the industry some hope. But again, I don't think you necessarily want to be fighting legal battles to gain the level of clarity that you desire. Um, so from an organizational perspective, I think there have been some efforts. They've kind of cooled, which I think is somewhat natural after an election cycle. I expect they'll kind of begin to pick up again um, in the next few months as we begin to look towards 2024 and just again, laying a lot of this foundation, like I mentioned. Um, I think the Blockchain Association, the one that my company is a member of, does a lot of good work and is kind of exploring some of these things. Coin Center, I think generally is somewhat misunderstood in the industry as being kind of a broad crypto evangelist. But my opinion of them is that they are much more narrowly targeted towards open and free permissionless networks, uh, which is why I think they lead the fight on things like Tornado Cash and OFAC sanctions. They play a very critical role, but I think they have never claimed to be an industry champion in the way that I think a lot of people believe that they are an industry champion and they do a lot of important things, but they are not going to fight every single crypto battle. But when they do decide to fight, you know they are going to be bringing A, everything they have and B, working on really important, potentially existential issues to the crypto space. So um, that's one I would look at and consider as well. And then DeFi Education Fund, which I think generally does a pretty good job, are I think there's others as well that are more generally focused on companies and businesses and things to join as membership organizations. But I think those are sort of the three from an individual looking to contribute um, perspective. And again, there really aren't a ton of ways to necessarily drive a lot of individual efforts right now, unfortunately. I mean, you can certainly write and call your representatives. I think that's somewhat of an underrated avenue that people feel like it doesn't make a difference. But if you get enough strength in numbers, it can actually be pretty influential, at least to demonstrate to people that there's people out there who do care about this thing. Like your first call, your second call, if you get enough people to call, people will at least, they may not do much about it, but they'll at least know when a crypto issue comes up, they need to at least be paying attention to it. And I think that kind of slowly starts the conversation. Um, but yeah, I think this is, again, another area where kind of harnessing the grassroots nature of the crypto space presents a lot of opportunity, both from a political perspective to maybe try and encourage and get certain people to run for office. Uh, which has happened in the past, but I think probably needs a little bit more focus and attention and, and effort. Getting donations and money and resources marshaled to support these types of efforts. Um, those, I think, again, not a terribly satisfactory answer because it's just hard to do these things. Um, and it doesn't feel like it has an immediate impact. It's much more of a long-term game. But those are some of the things I would at least offer. Yeah, un unfortunately for us, uh, long-termism and, and crypto are uh, not good bedfellows. <laughs> um, people tend to lose their attention span over a shitcoin and uh, yeah, 
48 hours. Uh, sort of like a, yeah, it's like, like one, one more question that I have um, is, all right, like, let's pretend for a second that there is some sort of House or Senate subcommittee that is created on crypto, and they're tasked with coming up with, you know, fair and balanced um, legislation for the crypto industry that sort of, you know, creates a modern framework for handling 21st century technology and financial instruments. Um, if you were called into that subcommittee and sort of like given the opportunity to sort of speak to these people who uh, aren't making the decisions, what, what are the points you would really want to, to make sure that you hit in that meeting? View, you're bringing the good ones tonight. Um, I think there is a fundamental need to understand that crypto is not a monolith and that the way to consider regulation for a centralized exchange is very different than how to consider regulation for a DeFi application, which is very different than how to consider something for a token and NFTs and stable coins. So I think people, because they, again, don't understand crypto and don't understand the diversity of kind of the verticals within crypto, think, oh, we need to regulate crypto. But you really, within that conversation, have several different elements, all of which pose unique and challenging and complicated issues that need their own approach. So I think that would be one place to start is just trying to get people to appreciate that if you pass a bill that tries to regulate centralized exchanges and don't think about the impact that that will have on a decentralized exchange, you're going to cut off a lot of the innovation and opportunity and frankly, just create a situation where it is impossible to either comply with the law or the law just doesn't make sense as written for how it would apply to a decentralized exchange. So I think that's one important area is just trying to lay that foundation. And the other one is just to study and understand these different verticals as well and what the unique challenges and issues are that they pose. So Europe, again, I keep mentioning Europe because I think while it hasn't been perfect, they have done a pretty thoughtful job of how to get their arms around this, has done and continues to do pretty in-depth studies of a lot of these different elements within the crypto industry. And I think they don't just wish it to go away. They recognize that it's going to be here for the long term. So they'd rather take some time on the front end to understand it and to think about what unique challenges it poses to inform their regulatory approach. Um, and I think the U.S. has not really been willing to even get to that point where they study these things. I think, again, the executive order and some of the agencies that had to study certain elements of this did a pretty good job at laying those things out. But I don't think that was done broadly within the legislature and I think while certain representatives and staff members and things are incredibly thoughtful around crypto and the issues posed by crypto, I don't think there has been kind of a broad recognition or appreciation of how differentiated this space is, which requires, again, its own solutions. Um, and I think 
to your actual question, that would be one point that I would want to try and drive drive home. Nice. Yeah, that's that's all great stuff. Okay, I did think of like one more, <laughs> um, which is of the current sort of like cases in flight, you know, whether they like which like which court cases, yeah, you you had mentioned that you think that the next couple of years you know, could be pivotal in the courts one way or the other for crypto. Which court cases do you think you know folks should watch and and you think have the potential to be really influential for for the space? Ripple, I think, will continue to play a pretty important role. I know there's a lot of people for understandable reasons who don't love Ripple or XRP, but Ripple has for quite a few years now actually mounted a defense and taken on the SEC and done a lot to both push back on their legal theories, but also to get and continue to try to get certain information from what's called discovery within a a legal case, the ability to get information from the other side um, to try and understand the SEC's position and get certain documents and things made public. So I think Ripple will continue to be very important, both from that perspective, but also from some of the elements around what is an investment contract, what happens when tokens are traded, not from the primary issuer, but on a secondary market. Um, That's a pretty important one that I think could have some pretty wide sweeping ramifications, depending on where that comes down for how tokens are traded um, and where they can be traded in secondary markets and how. The Uki DAO one, I think from just general sort of DAO liability is an important one. DAOs are their own kind of unique animal and beast. You're speaking my language. That 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 one scares the shit out of me. Um, it makes me want to not vote on anything because there's there's yeah there's the there's the case. I think was it the CFTC brought it against them, but then there's also a civil Correct. case, and the civil suit essentially alleges that they're a general partnership, whereas the um, the CFTC case alleges that they're an unincorporated uh, association, and. I think from talking to you actually and and another friend of mine who's a lawyer the the liability for participants of an unincorporated association varies state to state whereas in the civil suit if they lose that and and you know the members of the DAO and specifically the you know token holders who voted a lot are found to effectively be members of a general partnership then they are fucked they have unlimited liability in that case then yeah, I mean, the CFTC brings civil suits, so I'm not totally sure. I mean, if I recall, and I haven't looked at it in a while, and there's been a lot of crypto legal matters to stay on top of recently, there was a suit brought against, I believe, the founders of UkiDAO, and then also the DAO itself. And I think there are differences within that Um but I think fundamentally what you are talking about is the potential liability of DAO members. And that is both an open question as to whether the DAO as kind of its own legal entity could potentially be found liable. Um, and that's what's at the heart of the CFTC case right now. And then also, and this is the other question, is would individual members of the DAO who have voted then be liable and there will be legal fights about it. And again, I haven't looked at this in a while, so some of my facts may be off, but I think to your point, these are kind of the fundamental 
issues that 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 case presents and an important reason to keep an eye on it. The other thing I will say, though, and this kind of gets to some of the organizing and some of the ways that I think the crypto industry does need to organize itself from a political perspective, but there is opportunity to go to various states because entities, business entities, whether it's a corporation or a general partnership or an LLC, are creatures of state law, not federal law. I think not a uniquely crypto industry problem, but everyone is so focused on Washington, D.C. that they don't appreciate the power that states have over a vast swath of our lives. So what you have also begun to see is that while Washington, D.C. is gridlocked, the states are introducing bills or trying to regulate crypto, whether it's Bitcoin mining in New York or there's a digital asset bill in New Jersey right now. California passed a law last year that would have licensed certain companies similar to the bit license in New York that the governor in California ultimately vetoed, but it's been reintroduced. Illinois just recently introduced a bill. I'm sure there will be more crypto regulatory bills that aren't great for the industry in various states. And I think one of the other challenges is that so much of the industry's efforts are focused in D.C. that you the industry loses opportunity to play offense in places that may be more favorable to give certain protections in, for instance, Wyoming, let's say, where you could pass some kind of unincorporated nonprofit association or unincorporated for-profit association, but create a DAO law effectively at the state level that gives some of these protections that you're talking about um, from a state law perspective. And I think these are the types of things that I would like the industry to begin thinking about. Again, that's as much a legal policy thing as it is perhaps even more so than a political thing. But I think being able to think strategically from a political perspective about how do you get a bill passed and what are the right states to consider and play a little bit of offense from that perspective for certain fundamental things that can be done at a state level that don't necessarily require the federal government, whether it's Congress or agencies to regulate. And I think that's a tricky balance because there's also certain things that you don't want to do at a state level and then have 50 states money transmitter laws, for instance. If you want to operate an exchange, you're getting licensed in all 50 states or 47 of them, whatever the number is that have these laws on the books. And that just creates a really challenging regulatory patchwork. So there are certain things that are certainly done more appropriately at the federal level, like securities regulations. There is state securities regulation, but generally the federal government determines for all intents and purposes, um, securities regulation broadly. So these types of things, though, I think are stuff that the industry would do well to be thinking about right now, especially if Washington is going to be gridlocked. What are the areas at a state level where the industry you know, won't cost as much, can probably have more influence, um, but actually get some things done where you then have model states and model legislation to look at that you can then try and play a little bit more offense in terms of knocking out some of these potential concerns just because there's an absence of regulation or case law that creates a lot of these ambiguities and potential risks like in the Uki Dow matter. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, Wyoming is, is a good one. I, I mean, some of this does exist, you know, specifically around DAOs and entities. I think in the crypto space in particular, um, it's really just more uh, some combination of, of laziness and, you know, 
certain lawyers telling their clients to just pass off all of the risk to token holders and not assume it themselves, which, you know, I get like the job of a law firm that you retain as a business is to protect your liability, not the liability necessarily of your, your customers or users. Um, but yeah, that, that, that is really interesting. You know, how can you combine, how can you not lose focus on the areas where you can make gains and can gain ground, um, by, by not being just fully obsessed about Washington, D.C. and what's going on there. Totally. And I think in the absence, the same issues apply at the state level and the same interests of consumer protection and rooting out fraud and things like that apply. But generally, state legislatures are less well-resourced from a staff perspective and just generally are part-time for the most part. So they just don't have as much attention. They don't get as much information to be educated in these ways. And therefore, when they do try and do something, it's harder to make a difference because there's less attention and resources on them in the first place. Um, And then it becomes hard for the industry to kind of play catch up. And when you're doing this at multiple states, eventually it just becomes near impossible to properly combat a lot of these or at least get in front of the right people to explain why their law, A, wouldn't accomplish what it would want to do and would ultimately just drive people and businesses out of the state. So the state side of it, I think, is an area that needs a lot more attention as well and is unfortunate because the industry is already pretty stretched for resources at the federal level. And then you're kind of adding a state element to it as well. So I want to touch on one of the topical, uh, to switch gears here for a second, one of the topical aspects of regulation now which is kind of we've seen a, maybe a slight aggression from the SEC recently with Kraken with uh, possibility with going after Kraken Lend with possibility of Coinbase um, we've we've just seen a, a lot of headlines for sure recently do you think the SEC has changed their approach and become more aggressive now or do you think um, just kind of after the FDX debacle, they feel like they have to blow some smoke and, and make a big huff and puff to try and uh, scare some people? Or do you think they're really kind of putting tires to the uh, to the tarmac here and in, in, in trying to uh, get some shit done? So I think it's evolved a little bit, whereas I think when there were at the end of 2022 in the last Congress, and there still is, and it's still, I think, hanging over a lot of this, but there is jurisdictional turf wars between who should regulate crypto, the CFTC, which generally regulates commodities, futures contracts, derivatives, and the SEC, which regulates securities. And crypto, for various reasons, can fall, and there's a desire for it to fall into either of those buckets so that those regulators have more funding, more staff, more resources to be the regulator of the crypto industry, let's say. So I think that casts somewhat of a a shadow, I guess, over this entire battle, because in order to be seen as tough on crypto, which I think is what the regulators generally want to be perceived as within Washington and in Congress, especially again, in the wake of FTX and a lot of the other collapses in 2022, 
they will bring, I think, more aggressive matters or more matters that try and demonstrate their breadth and ability to regulate crypto at in a more wide sweeping way so that they both fulfill what they believe to be their mission of consumer protection, but do it in a way that really hits on a host of areas where there's ambiguity, whether it's DAOs like the Uki DAO matter in the CFTC, or whether it's staking like with Kraken, or whether the rumors about stable coins are the case. So I think it's really just an effort broadly to try and define their turf to a large degree. And I think there is no shortage, unfortunately, of opportunity for them to do so in the wake of many of what we saw in 2022. Um, and they have been more than happy to, to jump on, on that train and take some of the low-hanging fruit to then be able to point to and say, we're now doing a lot, give us more power when you pass legislation because we've demonstrated that we can do a lot in the absence of laws that give us explicit power. Imagine what we can do with laws that give us explicit power. So I think that's a lot of where it comes from. I think it'll continue. I think they will continue to try and press and demonstrate that they are the deserving regulator of choice in Washington, if you will. That's super interesting, but not super fun to hear, <laughs> to be honest. But I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what you're saying there. Um, we're getting close to time here. Is there anything you want to talk about that you think we've missed? Um, anything uh, specific that interests you that you'd like to bring up? Or One area that I think is probably worth just explaining a little bit and sharing is I think there's this general perception of why wouldn't Washington want the crypto industry in the U.S. for the jobs and the opportunity that creates and sort of the, the land of innovation and entrepreneurship. And I'm not in Washington, but people I speak to who are there and fight these battles every single day have begun to suggest that there are certain elements in Washington who think the growth of sort of Silicon Valley and Web2 tech giants was not a net positive for the US. So I think the industry just needs to continue to be careful about taking for granted a lot of our priors about the fact that it is 100% the case that policymakers and lawmakers in Washington want the crypto industry to grow and have the US be the leading market for it. And I think that was a surprise to me as I started to hear more people who, again, are dealing with these and interfacing with lawmakers and policymakers and staff members on a daily basis, because I had always assumed, of course, they want the growth and the innovation to come here. And I don't think that is a safe assumption anymore. And I think if that is the case, it changes a lot of the challenges that the industry faces in making its persuasive case. If the default position is not how do we regulate this industry? But why do we even want to regulate this industry? Because why do we even want it within the borders of the U.S.? So perhaps another scary place that to leave it. Is but that's like fucking insane. Yeah, I think that's something that people again, just like we're in our bubble, we start with certain assumptions about 
where the industry is and what people want. And that belief, I mean, look, maybe that's kind of a regulate the bottom thing. And that won't be the case as crypto starts to, you know, people have short memories about FTX and you start to see things kind of move in a positive direction. But I think that is just kind of an overall sentiment that people need to recognize. Not everyone thinks that this is an industry that should exist in the U.S., or wants it to exist in the U.S. and therefore doesn't want to do anything to encourage its ability to exist in the U.S. I I'm genuinely floored that this is a provision. Like like for, forget crypto. I am floored that people would think like like how how the fuck can you retcon the last thirty years of economic growth and development? Um, that that's like genuinely insane. Like it's disqualifying to having the job of representative to me. How could you not think that the last 30 years of value creation and growth in our stock market, in our economy is, is down to the insane value creation and, and talent capture that the growth and development of the internet on us soil had like, like I'm, you have just dropped a bomb on on my brain here, Adam. I I can't believe that a prevailing sentiment in Washington is is actually to totally misunderstand the incredible opportunity and value that was created by, you know, the the, the DARPA net becoming the internet and 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 those companies being formed on American soil. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say prevailing. I don't think it is very widespread, but I think there are certain elements where that is at least a question being asked. Like at a foundational level, justify the presence of the tech industry at large and the crypto industry within that. And I think that becomes, again, not... A majority, not necessarily even a significant number, but at least enough to make some noise in that vein. My God, that's just—I don't know, man. I'm shook. I'm, I'm shook to my core on that. Like, I can't imagine anybody could think that. It's just so obvious. Old people's inability to comprehend software and therefore effectively regulate some of the adverse side effects of uh, technology should not you know, erase the enormous benefit that that was all of this value capture happening on American soil for the American tax base and American jobs. That's that's just so, so funny to me and horrifying. Yeah, I think it just goes to certain people's fundamental belief in how elements of the tech industry have led to a lot of other associated challenges. But again, nothing is perfect. You're never going to solve all ills in one fell swoop. And I think there needs to be a recognition that it's damn near impossible to hold back innovation. And if that's what your goal is going to be or what your desire is going to be, you're just going to constantly be left disappointed because it's not going to stop. And there's very little you can do to stop it. And I think we've kind of seen that repeat itself over time. Um, but that again, continues to be, I think some of the challenge that we will find ourselves presented with. Well, that is indeed, uh, a interesting, but wild point to, 
to end the serious part of the conversation on. <laughs> it's time. We got to move on to the uh, ending segments of Goodwill Yunting here. So it is tradition to ask our guest what they think of the crypto markets right now. I don't know. Are you a big trader? Are you a holder? Are you a, uh, I don't know. What, what do you do? What do you think of the markets right now? Are we going up, going down? Are we we all going to die? Is, is Gary going to flood us to oblivion? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't have many predictions. My predictions are often wrong. So you come from the rogue school of uh, crypto. I'd yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to get better at it, but I don't have anything really to, to share that I think will, will be helpful in any way, shape, or form. It's probably counter-trade advice, quite honestly. Fair enough, fair enough. I respect the honesty. We do have another ending segment where, curious... Out of curiosity, if you were to lose all your crypto stonk investments, you were handed a pile of money, what would you want to invest that in? What What's exciting you right now? Or or to phrase it in a different way, what in the space is really exciting you? What's getting your juices flowing? What what projects or people or whatever are you seeing that, that um, you're really having fun with? Yeah, so I came to the space much more from an NFT onboarding, I would say, than a DeFi onboarding space. Um, so there's some NFT projects that are actually about the underlying project and, and what the NFT represents, um, as opposed to, you know, just hoping number go up type of thing. So there's one, one project in particular, um, called a coup, which is a character that was created by the artist, Micah Johnson, um, basically inspired by he's African-American and his, his nephew asking whether Afri- astronauts can be black. And as a result of that, he created this character for kids to kind of look up to that was meant to allow them to not really have any limitations on their dreams and to kind of live out their dreams and dream big and things like that. And I find just the story and, and opportunity behind that character that he's created as a pretty inspiring one. So I think that's probably the one that, that I would mention here in response to that. Awesome. I like it. I like it. That's really interesting. That's a, that's a, that's a cool idea. Um, damn, that's all I got. Bue, you got anything before we go here? No, no, I think uh, I'm still recovering from the <laughs> from the knowledge that people think that the internet being created in America was bad. It's gonna take me weeks to, to get past that. He was like, "Think about all the poor." Yeah, again, I don't know that it's it's the creation of the internet. I just think certain ways that applications built on the internet have played oh, out, and yeah. some of the realities of those economic consequences and the level of control that certain individuals have had, you can probably figure yeah. what I'm thinking of specifically or the handful that I'm thinking of specifically. Maybe, maybe like maybe Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg being a douchebag is the one thing we as Americans and maybe citizens of the world can all unite around. <laughs> yeah. I like Zuckerberg though. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Just combine it, man. Just cut to the chase. Zuckerberg. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, look, a lot of, not to go on another 
side here, but a lot of what kicked off a lot of, I think, the skepticism and some of what bleeds into Fucking crypto Libra. was the Libra project. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's, God, I hate you know, it's guy. things that <sighs> there's just, there's still just skepticism about I mean, that's fair what enough. that is and what does that mean? I, so. I, I can't blame anybody for being skeptical of, of, of Mark Zuckerberg and crypto. Like, name a less iconic duo. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, All right, well Adam, this yeah. has been awesome. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on, dropping hella knowledge. Um, this has been super dope. I feel like my brain has become bigger uh, by at least three inches. I was hoping we could, uh, we could make that happen. But yeah, thanks for having me. I think it's hopefully some conversations that the industry can have and kind of collectively evolve over the next several months to position ourselves as well as, as we can going into 2024 and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, peace y'all. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks everybody. As always, one quick disclaimer, nothing said on this podcast is advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any assets or tokens. We may, and often because we're passionate about the projects we bring on, hold investments in the project. None of this is financial advice. Please do your own research. This is a risky field. We have some amazing new guests lined up. I'm super excited GN, GM, whatever time it is, have a good day. And as always, yunt hard, yunt fast, yunt cap.